0: Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming.
1: Action! Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Today's show is a twofer. The music you're hearing now is part of the score from a new orientation film at the American Civil War Museum titled, A People's Contest, America's Civil War and Emancipation. It's a gorgeously made production utilizing a unique layered double-screen technique. Writer-director John Murray talks about the making of it, along with the museum's CEO, Dr. Robert Havers.
2: Well, I have a question. Yesterday during history, our teacher
1: taught us about these, like, scarecrow laws. Jim Crow laws? And, oh. She speaks. Right, Jim Crow laws. They seemed a bit scary. You lived during
2: that time, right? I just don't understand. How could something be legal and wrong? Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it is just or right.
1: That was an excerpt from a video at the second museum to be featured today, the Maggie L. Walker National Historical Site. Producer Morgan McCoy and ranger Andrea Decoder discussed two videos they recently launched. Maggie Walker explains Jim Crow and Junior Ranger. There's lots to learn for them and us in this week's show.
0: Sifter review of the
1: week: Pinocchio on Disney Plus. Director Robert Zemeckis is known for his boundary-pushing effects efforts, like Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, and The Polar Express. This time, he's brought his regular collaborator, Tom Hanks, along to play Geppetto. The roles of other humans are played by some wonderful talents, including Cynthia Ervio and Luke Evans, while the animals are CGI and voiced by the likes of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiminy Cricket and Keegan-Michael Key as the fox. There are also hints of songs from the Disney classic, plus a few new ones that get more time than the originals. Even with all this and some grand visuals, especially Pleasure Island, the whole thing feels flat. Everyone's expending lots of energy, but the opening scenes with the sleepy Hanks launch the film with a snore, literally. The adventures proceed, but never with much life. Even with a few modern references and some rewrites, this Pinocchio wants to be a boy, but he never sparks joy. I gave it two and a half out of five stars. Dr. Rob Havers and John Murphy, welcome to Sifter.
3: Thank you. How are you doing?
1: I went actually to see the, the film that we're gonna talk about yesterday. It was really impressed, I have to say. I've been reviewing movies since the 70s and I was very impressed with your movie, so take that. But I just wanted to say yesterday when I was there, I talked to Jennifer and I said, were you around when there were the big projections on the walls here at Tredegar? And she had no idea. And I know that Rob, you're relatively new, but I remembered it. And I went back and checked in 1994 when it was the Valentine Riverside at Tredegar Ironworks. Pyramid Studios, which is a local, they're now retired, Bruce and Dixie Hornstein did this show. They projected what they're called panny projectors. They're these giant projectors that have 10 by 10 inch glass images and they projected them on the pattern building and inside the building they had rear windows and they had subwoofers buried in the plaza and this ran for two years did either one of you know about that
3: i'm pretty familiar with that yeah i did I mean, not
2: I that is very interesting jerry yeah, there we... used to
3: be big boxes outside that uh on the site rob that hold, really? with that whole held vectors in them yeah
2: <laughs> i had no idea how interesting
1: Anyway, of course, now you have a new museum and you have a new movie. Rob, what was the decision behind, okay, we want to have a movie. I guess every museum has to have an introductory movie orientation.
2: I I think you're right to say that most new museums these days, or most museums that exist and are looking to update the visitor experience, go somewhat down the route of orientation film or movie. The film we have is substantially more than a simple orientation film. It adds color and depth to a particular Uh, line of inquiry and narrative that the museum talks about in some detail, but it is a deeper dive into one particular aspect of the civil war, simultaneously putting it in the context of that broader conflict, where the war came from, the broad course of the war, and what happens afterwards, which is essentially the mission of the institution. But the mission of the institution also is to look at it from multiple perspectives. And so there is a A strong focus in this film that looks at the African-American experience that hadn't been well documented, which is pretty central to what it is we try to do here, which is look at the story, what you're most familiar with and orientate you with that. But also within that, take a deeper dive into what was an infinitely complex conflict, um, the legacies of which we deal with today.
1: And John, you are a writer-director for Solid Light. What is Solid Light?
3: I'm the executive creative director for Solid Light, and we're uh, an experienced design and production firm in Louisville, Kentucky. And we also produce the uh, exhibition, uh, which is the award-winning exhibition for the American Civil War Museum. So this was a natural extension of the work that we did on the exhibit, which certainly uses theatrical projected media and a kind of a certain point of view in storytelling and sort of emotionally connecting the visitors to this story that Rob has has laid out. And so it was really fun to think about taking some of those concepts and recasting them into a more sort of linear sit down uh, experience, but one that is unexpected and surprising and that you probably haven't seen before.
1: And going to say, one of the most unexpected and surprising and I've never seen before was the idea of there are actually two screens. One, I'm assuming, is a scrim up front so you can kind of see through it. And then the one behind it is solid. Was this the first time you ever came up with that concept? Is it something you've done before? And if either way, why do that? What's the point of that?
3: I've never seen it done before. So it's kind of an invention that basically came from me looking at the sheer drapes in my house with leaf patterns falling on them and casting onto the wall behind them as well. So it's about simultaneity, that the Civil War is not a neatly manicured series of events, it's a very layered kind of historical event. Obviously there's lots of stuff going on at the same time, there's complexity, there's different points of view, There's different experience. Uh, And then the concept of sort of the media of the time, also layering with that and sort of showing that we don't really know what's going to happen next. And so it was really kind of an artistic choice that had some storytelling potential, obviously, but also appealed to us from a theatrical kind of presentation perspective as well. It's very striking and surprising And there's kind of opportunities for these collisions, these kind of juxtapositions that um, we found interesting. And I think that get to the root of what Rob was talking about, that there's lots of untold stories here, that that we tend to frame the Civil War in this kind of well-worn narrative, but that is only a very sort of small piece of the pie of the story. And so as we start to bring in those other perspectives, and those other narratives that gave us a really interesting canvas to play with that.
1: literally a layered canvas rob what was your reaction when they said this were you like you guys are crazy let's just keep it safe or were you like go for it this sounds cool
2: in full disclosure i've been here about a year and a half and much of these decisions have been made in advance oh, okay but when i saw the script and saw the plan i thought it was a, a very engaging visually and orally stimulating endeavor And John hit the nail on the head just now when he sort of identified what it is that we try and do at a history museum or a Civil War museum, and of which the the film is emblematic. Firstly, we try to understand the past as the past knew itself. Yeah, not as we know it, not contaminated by contemporary values or contemporary thoughts, but to understand what they knew at the time, Right. but also to understand, to John's point, also that they didn't really understand what was going to happen. And there's a, there's a famous and well-worn cliché that, that that history is, is is lived forwards but written backwards. And the utility of that comment is not undermined by by the cliché nature. It's, a, it's essentially that we can look back on the Civil War. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And those at the time who lived through it did not know what was coming over the horizon or around the corner. And one of the ways to get at that is to tell these stories that are not well told, because it surprises and challenges them preconceptions of those who come to see the the Civil War Museum and to undergo that experience. And the film, I think, does a great job of prepping you for that.
1: But going back to the technical side of this, John, one of the things that I thought of as a producer is, okay, you got a projector from the back and a projector from the front. How do you make sure the light doesn't bleed through from the front one to the back one, or does it and it's okay and that was designed to have that bleed?
3: It's uh, the way that you balance that. There's actually eight projectors on the back, Wow. Because there's such a short distance between the front plane and the back plane. Right. There's actually eight projectors that are blended together to create a single image. And the way that you balance that is through projector brightness, right? Right. So as you start to dim the front projection plane, it it starts to create that sort of, it's almost like a stereograph or as you know, at least I was a kid, a GAF viewmaster. It's that sort of three-dimensional effect. And so it is interesting that a stereograph is actually one of the ways that people experienced the Civil War in the 19th century. And so there's also kind of a cool... Like geeky history media story that lives. Just for you, yeah, just just too. for
1: you, Julie. Right, right. There's a lot of talent in it. Was that shot down in Kentucky? And you use local actors for that?
3: No, we actually we worked with a great production company that partnered with us on the on the reenactment stuff. And they're great friends in Kansas City, Wide Awake Films, and they're very well known for their expertise in creating very accurate historical reenactments of, and so we shot that in a on a big stage in kansas city
1: and when you say stage, just for listeners you mean a sound stage not a yeah a sound theater stage, stage
3: on right? green screen and composited this all together and
1: was that lincoln was that a person who makes a living as lincoln because obviously he was pretty close to it
3: yeah he definitely is the lincoln if you if you want a lincoln that's that's, that's your the guy, guy. Yeah.
1: There are lots of photos there are lots of newspaper headlines and other ephemera was everything that was used from the museum or did you have to go outside for some of the imagery or some of the stuff
3: everything in there is based on actual historical ephemera or documents right but what we did because of the scale of the media projection and sometimes the dodgy quality of some of these old and the way that they were digitized back in the day is we actually recreated them on a period letterpress. Oh, wow. Footnote.
1: Letterpress is an early printing technique that uses a printing press to create multiple copies.
3: That was a really, really fun and really, really cool part of the project is to sort of go back in time and sort of produce the media of the Civil War, and that really allowed us to create that sort of beautiful language of typography and media and sort of the messaging of the time.
1: Now, and you also decided to colorize the photos, not only in the movie, but also in the exhibit itself. What was the theory behind taking, obviously, they are all black and white when they were shot in the 1800s?
3: Well, that was an original notion that we worked with Rob's predecessor, Christy Coleman, on the exhibition. And the idea there was that these people are relevant to you as a contemporary person. When you're looking at an old black and white photo, there's a distance of history. But when I walk in and I see, you know, they look like someone I might have just seen at the Starbucks, that changes your emotional engagement with the story. That makes this more immediate and more visceral.
1: So you said that Solid Light did all the exhibits. There's also another. You call that a movie, a slideshow, the one in the other room. That's kind of all those big trapezoids, and there's stuff projected on them. What? How is that one different from the one in the? call it the orientation theater.
3: We call that the cave theater.
1: Cave as as in it's dark and like well, a cave. Well, cave
3: as in cave, meaning that in the the summer of 1863. Thank you, Rob.
1: (laughs) Thanks for the expert. That's why you're here, Rob. That's That's your your only job, right?
3: (laughs) Your editing is going to come in handy, Jerry. So, this is about the war coming to the home front, right? And so, this literally driving civilians into cave in Vicksburg as they're being shelled by the Union forces. And so, what we tried to do is take the idea of cave and shattered psyche, right, and Ah, so that's the concept of the shards and the fractured nature of the narrative and the show there, right? We're trying to think of these things in very theatrical, almost operatic kind of ways.
1: And that brings me perfectly to you, Rob. What has been the reaction in general? What have you heard from people coming through who have seen that movie and the the other one for that matter?
2: The reaction has been very, very positive. It's somewhat approximates to to much of what we've heard from what I've said and what John has said, which is that within a recognisable context of a recognisable event, the Civil War, we challenge those preconceptions about who was involved and what happened. And just to go back to the earlier comment about the ephemera and the documents that feature in the film, overwhelmingly, they are drawn from our own collection. There are some guest pieces, but overwhelmingly it is from our own peerless collection.
1: Something tells me from your accent, you're not an American. So what puts you in charge of the American Civil War Museum? Is that a fascination you had? Are you you British, I'm assuming?
2: Um, Although technically I am an American US citizen now, I hail from the United Kingdom. So my accent is still, after 20-odd years, recognizably, I guess, British. People used to talk like this about 400 years ago in Virginia.
1: And some of them still do. They say way out in the country somewhere. That,
2: that's exactly right. So what brought me to the Civil War Museum, so I'm a military historian by training. Okay. I'm an academic historian who fortuitously, I'd like to think, wandered into public history, running history museums, mainly with a, a military focus. Um, and the Civil War Museum was a museum I'd visited and had been impressed by. And then when I heard that they were looking for a new president, new CEO, I thought, wow, that's the kind of place I'd like to be, threw my hat into the ring, and there we go. The rest is history. Pun intended, I guess. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed.
3: The American Civil War Museum, I think, does a fantastic job. They're presenting a very difficult subject through a very unique lens. I mean, that we're talking about the Civil War in the context of slavery and enslaved people, you really can walk out that experience with a newfound understanding of what that really meant to the people that experienced it, but also that you can walk away with a new understanding for yourself and the world we live in today. So I I just wanted to say that out loud because I do a lot of work with museums and I have for a long time, and I really think that that this is a, a special place
1: righty, gentlemen, I want to thank you both very much for this. I think you have a project you can be very proud of. It's beautifully made and I hope people will come see it. And of course they can come see it at the museum. They just pay admission and then they get to see the exhibit as well. Correct, Rob?
2: That's absolutely right. Yeah. 10 to five, seven days a week.
1: And you pay for parking now, but it's free if you go to the museum.
2: That's exactly right. Yes. I
1: guess that's to keep people out of that, uh, going across the river on that, uh, parking uh, lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, John.
2: Uh, great Thanks to see Jerry. you, Rob. Yeah, you too, John. Good to see
1: you. That was writer-director John Murray and the American Civil War Museum's CEO, Dr. Rob Havers, talking about their new orientation film, A People's Contest, America's Civil War and Emancipation. There's a link to the museum on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Now let's go to Jackson Ward.
4: Hi, friends. It's your trusted junior ranger here. Out to explore and protect our national parks. I'm also a reporter for the Young People's Herald. Today... I'm at the Maggie L. Walker National Historic Site in Richmond, Virginia. We are going to learn about an amazing woman. She became the first African-American female president of the bank.
1: That was an excerpt from one of two new videos for students produced by the Maggie L. Walker National Historical Site. We're going to talk with Dr. Andrea Decoder, Chief of Interpretation and Education for the site, and Morgan McCoy, who wrote and directed them. I'm talking with Andrea Decoder. So do we call you Dr. Andrea Decoder or Ranger Andrea Decoder?
0: Or just Andy is fine. I Andy. respond to about anything. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I was going to ask you the same thing, Andy. I was going to say, should I call her Dr. Decoder are on this? <laughs> no, you
0: know, my found... daughter will tell you. It's a PhD in history, so I'm not a real doctor. <laughs> <Nah>.
1: <laughs> and that other voice you're hearing, that's Morgan McCoy, who's the producer and owner of MAM Productions, right?
4: That's correct. Yes.
1: First of all, Andy, it used to be the Maggie Walker House that I remember it back in the day, and now it's called the Maggie Walker Historical Site, and everybody that works there's a ranger, which I think is pretty hilarious, even if you're like a gift shop operator, right?
0: Um, Well, we have a cooperating association, Eastern National, that actually runs the bookstore, but yeah, um, our park staff, we're park rangers, you can... While well, we're on podcast, people might not be able to see, but right. I'm wearing my Ranger uniform, complete with all the badges and everything. Right. It is a national park site. It became so in the um, mid-1970s. Oh, thanks to wow. efforts from the community and, and Maggie Walker's family, her descendants who preserve the home. And Morgan, how did you get into becoming a video producer? So
4: I started acting professionally and actually in historical projects at the age of 14. And so I went to undergrad in, in acting and theater performance, but I got my master's in film producing. So I was on set as an actor actress and I said I want to do what they're doing too. Oh. So uh, after getting my masters and studying screenwriting, directing, videography, all of that I went out and did it. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to specifically tell stories that enlighten and teach history. So we've been, my company's been running for the past 10 years now.
1: Wow, congratulations. So first of all, Andy, let me ask you, how did y'all decide
0: we're going to do these videos? I kind of came into it mid-conversation where Mark and Agena, two of our wonderful um, people who work at the site, were having this conversation with Morgan and saying, we need you to help us explain this history in a way that first and fourth graders can understand. Uh, we had just created a new movie for the park site and that was done a couple of years ago, but we were finding out the movie is a little over 20 minutes so it's a little bit long for most schools to be able to show it. And in Virginia, the standards of learning have first and fourth grades as the age groups that are specifically studying Mrs. Walker's story. Uh-huh. And so how do we explain this in a way that they understand? And you know, seeing Morgan's scripts for the first time and seeing how she engages kids and this beautiful flow of language that she uses it just really sealed the deal
1: great and i was gonna well my first question for you morgan was gonna be how'd you get the gig but she just told us how you got the gig there are two different productions one is called uh maggie walker explains jim crow and the other is junior ranger now is one of those i'm assuming for the first graders and one for the fourth graders
4: So the Junior Ranger video is more for the first graders and also is going to be utilized as an introduction video. So when people come to the Maggie Walker National Historic Site, to my understanding that they'll also have the opportunity to see that video. Uh, So that is an opportunity where the Junior Ranger is connecting the language between Maggie Walker and first graders or younger students so they can understand what is a washboard, what is a laundress, understanding those types of terminologies. Um, And then Maggie Walker explains Jim Crow, um, specifically is geared for fourth graders. And so we had a focus group of educators and asking, what do you need? What's helpful? Because for me as a writer, I don't just want to write something and say, take it. We want to figure out what do students need? And more importantly, what do the teachers need to help as a complement to the classroom?
1: So how long was the production?
4: Now, you can appreciate this, Jerry, since you're in the video <laughs> world. We shot those in two days. Wow. Yes.
1: With children <laughs> actors. Yes. Speaking of which, where did you find your child actors?
4: In addition to what we do on film, I do a mentoring program where we help young artists. And so the junior ranger, Riley Roberts, was actually a part of my mentorship program a couple of years ago, and she's phenomenal. And so because we needed, a, it was a rigorous schedule, it was a lot of lines, I needed someone that I knew could handle it. The other three actors, we had an open call.
1: Did they use prompters to read them of that script? Because that's a lot to memorize in two days.
4: So I rehearsed. So my background is in theater. So right. we had two months of rehearsal prior to shooting. Oh, wow. Okay. No, so I do that. Now, the fourth grade video, they had no teleprompter whatsoever. They are off book in about... Two and a half weeks. Well, Um, they didn't
1: have as many lines either. I mean, that's only four minutes. The ranger's like 20 minutes.
4: It was a long. So she memorized certain sections and she did use a teleprompter for some of the other sections.
1: So uh, I was going to ask you what's the biggest challenge, but I think probably having to cram all that into two days was a big challenge.
4: Absolutely, yes.
1: (laughs) In a studio and in the Maggie Walker house, correct?
4: So we brought the studio to the Maggie Walker house.
1: Oh, you did? You set up a green screen and everything? So what was the biggest surprise that you found, Morgan, in producing this and researching these two videos?
4: So Maggie Walker's life is so inspiring for me. I thought I knew a lot, but having the opportunity to read her diaries, um, having the opportunity to just really sit at the feet of the Rangers and find more about Mrs. Walker it challenged me to rise up and it encouraged me in, in very personal spaces in my life. So that from a personal standpoint, from a professional standpoint, working with the kids during the Maggie Walker Explained Gym Pro video during our rehearsal time, I wasn't expecting in the types of questions that were prompted um, that the students had and By the kids. how Great. they respond. And so that was really rewarding professionally to see that this was already inciting conversation just amongst the actors. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how it will help in the classroom too.
1: I want to come back to you, Andy, and ask you, how will they be used?
0: So just like Morgan said, when people come to the site, if we know there are children in the group, we want to make sure these videos are available on site. We're also, one of them is already up on the Park's YouTube page. We're working on making the other one um, Section 508 compliant. That means it's available to anybody um, you know the With closed captioning and, everything and all else exactly um so now teachers can go and they can show it in their classroom through youtube so they have a couple different options if they needed to borrow a dvd from the site we have the dvds we really want to make it as accessible as possible because this is probably one of the most requested things that we have is What can you show me where, you know, teachers don't have a lot of time? It's what can you give me that really will be interesting for these kids that, you know, doesn't take up too much time. And they really wanted to get at the essence, the heart of what Mrs. Walker was about. And this is very complicated history to talk about. You know, that was the conversation we kept having is, gosh, we're talking about Jim Crow. We're talking about racism. We're talking about things that we're still grappling with today and kids may already be familiar with some of it. So how do we talk about it and talk about it in a way that's you know, historically authentic and appropriate and not re-traumatizing anybody? How do we address all of that? And I think the way that, um, that Morgan handled the script and just the way it was filmed, but we have a product that I'm extremely proud of. Uh, full disclosure, my daughter's in fourth grade, uh-huh. so I tested it on her. You know, this is the market, and Watching her be able to engage with that and not have her attention span wander.
1: Great. And she did give it a good review, I'm assuming.
0: She did. Yep. She okay. got two thumbs up. <laughs> no, terrific.
1: Terrific. If a teacher or any family members are coming to the site, what other things are there that they might be able to appreciate or watch or access?
0: Yeah. So the videos are meant to be a precursor to either a site visit in person or we have virtual programs available. You know, we can't necessarily accommodate huge classes. In the past, we've tried to do that. And obviously, COVID has changed some of those protocols. Right. But for schools that have lots of students, like 100 to 120 students, what we love to do is to make the videos available for the classroom. And then the teachers can also schedule to do a tour online. Uh, we've partnered with Google Cultural Institute. So our park rangers can walk students through an actual tour from the comfort of their classroom, um, and obviously, if they're able to come in person for those smaller groups, we love that as well. And we have Junior Ranger activity books available at the site that really go hand in hand with our films and with the tour. Well, I'm sure people will hear this and will be wanting to check them out. And we will have
1: a link on the page for this podcast to not only the the historical site but also to the YouTube link for the one. And as soon as you get the other, we'll put that one up too. Terrific. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much for your time. We've been talking with Andrea Decoder, Chief of Interpretation and Education for the Maggie L. Walker National Historical Site, and Morgan McCoy, who produced the videos for them. Links are on the webpage at tvjerry.com. Coming soon in theaters. The Woman King stars Viola Davis in the title role. She leads a group of all-female warriors to battle. See How They Run. This stylish murder mystery is set in 50s London and stars Sam Rockwell and Cersei Ronan. Clerks 3. This is obviously a sequel to Kevin Smith's earlier films. Plus, there's a behind-the-scenes look at the franchise. God's Country. A woman finds two hunters on a property which sets off the conflict. Pearl. The title character is a young woman who dreams of a life of glamour despite the challenges from her parents. The Silent Twins, which is based on a true story of two sisters who only communicated with each other. The Retaliators. After his daughter is murdered, a minister searches for answers and finds the underworld. TV and streaming. Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Elizabeth Moss and her resistance fighters deliver their vengeance in this fifth and final season. Vampire Academy on Peacock. This new series is based on the YA bestsellers. Atlanta on FX. This is the final season of Donald Glover's brilliant series, and it's back in the States. After a three-year delay, the Spanish-language comedy Los Espookis returns to HBO for a second season. The U.S. and the Holocaust on PBS. This is the latest from Ken Burns, a six-hour series that examines America's response to the Holocaust. Quantum Leap on NBC. Ben Song leads the cast of this time-traveling, body-hopping series in a continuation of the original. Reboot on Hulu. This is the first show created by Steve Leviton since he did Modern Family. This one stars Keegan-Michael Key and Johnny Knoxville. Do Revenge on Netflix. Camilla Mendez and Maya Hawk are out for revenge in this teen comedy. Next week on the show, we travel back in time. And you can subscribe to this podcast on all the major services. Just click the podcast tab at tvjerry.com for more. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands thousands of of reviews, reviews,
0: visit tvjerry.com.
1: That's
2: a wrap.